Hey, Asina. Hey there. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty good. Should we say welcome back? Welcome back to Shouting, Shouting from, from the, the Kitchen. kitchen. <laughs> How many times do we just have to record that, like, <laughs> one minute? It was a lot. I, I'm a little embarrassed. I think it was three. Yeah. So, for context, it is January. Yay! It's been a while since Asina and I recorded our first episodes. Mm-hmm. But as of right now, we are officially podcasters. There are three episodes out. Three episodes out in the world. Yeah, it's really exciting. What have we learned? A lot. Number one, budget at least 20 minutes when you get into the studio to <laughs> figure out how to use everything because you will have forgotten from last time. Especially if the last time you actually recorded was like three months prior. So true. Yeah, that's a big one. The other one was editing requires double the amount of time you think it will. And speak nicely. Because it turns out that's something I haven't learned already. Also, we have learned that both of us need to turn off our active listening. <laughs> because both of us are people that when you're speaking... We like to respond. We like to go, mm-hmm, uh-huh. Yeah. Good point. And that's a lot for Asina to edit. Yeah, because I want to make sure everything sounds smooth, and it's hard when you have the constant mm-hmm, mm-hmm, in the background. And that's all me. That's yeah, us. It's us. It's, it's a team effort. We just like each other's points. And we do. support each other via minimal little, mm-hmm, little, little agreements. Nudges. Yeah, exactly. So, what are we talking about today, Asina? Today we're talking about a topic I really wanted to talk about, like, in the format of a podcast, which is cosmetic surgery. Um, there's a, like, long list of why I wanted to talk about this, but the main one right now, because it's so relevant, is buccal fat? Yes. That's how you say it, right? I think so. I think we should just say it with confidence. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And if we're wrong... Just yell, us, yell at us in the comments, in the reviews. So true. Yeah, just scream at us and give us the little shout at us. <laughs> shout. I'm so funny. We're hilarious. But yeah. And before we get too into it, one of the things that we've committed to in these podcasts is doing kind of land acknowledgments that are relevant to the topic that we're talking about and that change every time. So it's not just... A check mark or something that we kind of do as a repetitive habit. Um, so today we kind of just wanted to highlight that when we talk about cosmetic surgery, what's underlying a lot of the desire for cosmetic surgery is that the standard of beauty is very colonial, it's very European, and that that is a form of colonial violence and kind of the control of our features and what is deemed beautiful, what is defined as beautiful, is a part of colonization and the ongoing um, violence against especially Indigenous women and non-men. So as we are in the studio and acknowledging the ties that this episode has to settler colonialism, we also acknowledge that we are on um, traditional, ancestral, and unceded Musqueam territory on the UBC Vancouver campus. We are. And I just want to say it took 
everything in me not to go mm-hmm and uh-huh and you're so right i was holding back i you can't see this but i was nodding the whole time like hey you're so right there's um, gonna be a lot of nodding like i think my my neck is gonna hurt after this episode <laughs> it's a neck workout yeah exactly so the background that i want to bring up and like the technical definition of cosmetic surgery um is that it aims to improve people's looks through changing their appearance um and this is a a goal of like increased confidence and self-esteem uh in the end it is about like appearance and that's really important to note before our definition of cosmetic surgery gets confused with plastic surgery whereas like plastic surgery is like the father of cosmetic or the parent of cosmetic surgery i don't want to i hate the fatherhood whatever um patriarchal whatever anyway the main thing here is i want to differentiate it from plastic surgery which is like can include facial reconstruction and like trans-affirming, you know, gender-affirming surgery. So it's really important to differentiate that um, before we shit on cosmetic surgery and like critique it because that's a very important difference. And I think specifically like the last part you said, like the increased self-confidence and self-esteem, that is the goal, but cosmetic surgery is specifically about providing a certain look and to quote unquote improve the certain look that someone has. It's not about fundamentally kind of changing parts of a person through plastic surgery, which there are lots of needs for. Exactly. It's about exactly right improving and what is improvement Mm -hmm. is the main question. Yeah. Um, So I wanted to background a sort of perspective on cosmetic surgery, a feminist perspective. So there's two ways you can look at why women in particular, and we're talking about women because women make up the majority of people who like use cosmetic surgery. I can't remember the exact number, but it's like 90%, like 90% of cosmetic surgeries are for women. And it's important to make that differentiation because it's women who are impacted by like the male gaze and how women should look and the whole beauty industry is ma- you know caters to women and their um, consumerism. Anyhow, for those of you men out there, we will have a section on the end about men and incels using Ooh. plastic surgery. So stay tuned. Absolutely. Um, so I wanted to outline a perspective. So there's the free will perspective that assumes women have agency to freely choose whether they have surgery. So it assumes that, like, if I wanted to get a nose job, that's my own choice. That's not impacted by anything else. I just woke up one day and was like, I'm going to get a nose job. That's me. There's also the second false consciousness perspective, which is women are objectified by male standards of beauty and conform using surgery. So it's this idea of like, well, why did you want to get a nose job? Who told you that to be pretty, you have to have a different nose? Like, what is the different nose that is the goal? Um, I want to bring up the study called Designing Women. Uh, It's about the exercise of power among women who have undergone elective mammoplasty. So it's mainly about women who have like chosen to have the surgery done. And so the women in the study who are often mothers describe the reason Uh, the reasons for getting breast reduction surgery were, um, and some of the reasons include perceptions of physical deformity motivated the women in our sample to get the surgery. So it's about like perceptions of deformity, and that can be linked back to false false consciousness in that like, what, why do we perceive it as a deformity? Who tells us we're deformed? 
Um, yeah. So, do you want to talk about buccal fat? Yes. <laughs> so, for anyone who doesn't know what buccal fat is, it's specifically the fat kind of right under your cheekbones. Mm-hmm. Um, and when people get that, when people get that fat removed, it kind of gives the more angular, very very, very defined jaw look, a look that has now been popularized. Like some of the people I've seen who've gotten it, the biggest one is Bella Hadid, one of the biggest models um, who is already extremely skinny and already has a very defined jaw. Um, but apparently she just needed that cheek removal, cheek fat removal. Uh, One study that we found said about buccal fat removal, the risk of accelerating facial aging causing distortion should caution the surgeon against the surgery. Essentially, buccal fat is a very new form of cosmetic surgery, or at least the popularity of it is very new. And so we don't really have long-term data to support this procedure or support its long-term effects on people. Even in that quote, we recognize that the risk of accelerating facial aging, that in itself is a beauty standard and aging is beautiful. Uh, It's just that we don't know the long-term effects and many people have stated that having fat in your cheekbones is very important for the longevity of your facial skin. Absolutely. Again, it's been around for about, I'd say, 10 years, I think, according to the study uh, that we quoted. Um, So, like, that sounds old, but it's very, very new, whereas other surgeries have been going on for at least a century. Um, So we have that data to go back and say, okay, well, this is what will happen if we allow large populations to do this. Um, So that's the main point there. I kind of connect it to the trend in specifically the Kardashian sisters removing their BBLs um, and essentially just getting skinnier and skinnier by removing plastic surgery and cosmetic surgery that they've done. And again, there are these people who not only play into the beauty standard, but because of their popularity, because of their capital, they, they f- create the beauty standard. Exactly. Um, and it, it like it influences so many people. Um, and we have to look at the people in power, the people who have that platform and question why they're getting that surgery. And what are we going to do in response to the coming back of this sort of trend? Um, and it is this idea of like women's bodies are trends. Like we saw the rise of curvy um, and the you know, the celebration of curvy women, which is pretty phenomenal considering it had been this sort of idea of you should be skinny for so long. Um, But again, women's bodies, they come and go, they become fats. And it's horrible because we see heroin chic coming back. um, And it's really quite terrifying. But in response, I guess all we can do is sort of say, no, fuck you. I'm going to just stay where I'm at and be who, like, what my body is and what my body needs. And I think it kind of draws back to, like, empowerment cannot come from the male idea of beauty. We cannot, like, we can be empowered very short-term from conforming to these standards, but long-term, like, our bodies are going to go out of style because 
that is it just it changes so anyway beauty sucks it also goes back to the idea of the false consciousness perspective how the trend of women's bodies is a form of objectification it's a form of dehumanization we see women not as full humans but these objects that get to change and mold based on the desires of mainly the male-dominated world around them. And this is even worse when we consider the racialized dynamic to not just buccal fat removal, but cosmetic surgery in general. When you brought up the example of like cosmetic surgery around noses, a lot of that is rooted in having a European Western looking nose. It's very anti-indigenous, very xenophobic, and it's all about having a look that is so desired, but you can't naturally achieve on your own. No, and it definitely, like we have to remember that the cosmetic surgery industry makes money off of us. The beauty industry makes money off of us and our insecurity. So when things go, like, come and go, we are consumers and they want us to consume and they want us to spend their money. It's capitalism. Like, if we're not spending money, we're worthless. And they will tell us we're worthless unless we spend money. So it's, again, that idea. And I think whenever I think of you know, nose jobs, it is so telling to me that there is only your nose being smaller. Like there is no idea that your nose should be bigger mm -hmm. or should be like enlarged. <laughs> we keep like, I keep having to like withhold the mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I just did it. Anyway, there's no surgery that is popular at all where it's like, okay, you should make your nose bigger. It's always feeding into that Western standard of beauty, which is like smaller noses. Um, so again, it's consumerism, it's capitalism. They want us to spend money. An interesting take that I I don't know where I saw it. It might have just been in conversation with someone. Um, but someone brought up the idea of like tattoos and are, are tattoos a form of cosmetic surgery? Like are women or are people forced into having tattoos? Wouldn't that be the same thing as cosmetic surgery? And I think that's where I see the connection to like the free will perspective that you brought up earlier. When people are getting tattoos, hopefully in most scenarios, they have autonomy over the tattoos that they're getting. They have autonomy over the style of tattoo. They have autonomy over who the artist is. In a sense, you could say the same about cosmetic surgery. You can have autonomy over the surgeon you go to. You can have autonomy over the setting you go to and what part of your body you are getting surgery on. Where I see the big difference is that when I get a tattoo, I'm the one who decides the design. I'm the one who decides the meaning behind it, why I want it. Versus cosmetic surgery, a lot of the time, the design is already made for you. It is the design of buccal fat removal. The design is skinny. The design is sharp jawline. You are not the one who is choosing what is going on your body. You're only choosing to get it done. You are motive, like you are the motivation. Like there is no industry, there is an industry that makes money off of you, but it is not... Um, 
like actively forcing you. It is not unconsciously telling you to get a tattoo constantly and that you're ugly without one. It's、mm-hmm. just like this is something beautiful that you could have. Do you want it? And that's it. And so I do see your free will idea in that the difference between those two industries. I think the other like last point I want to bring up specifically around women getting cosmetic surgery is the beauty standards that we live in are very, very pushed upon us. We see them. Everywhere we see them in our day-to-day lives, on our social media, in the people around us, and so there are times when people get types of cosmetic surgery that they feel really empowered in, and increases their self-confidence and increases their self self-esteem, and that's not inherently wrong. We are not telling women and other people who have gotten cosmetic surgery by their own choice. For the purposes of self-confidence and self-esteem, that they are wrong or that their decision was wrong. Again, it's all about autonomy. It's not our choice to tell you whether or not to get surgery. And I think that there are lots of people who really desire it, and it really changes their life, and it changes the way that they live in the world and feel in the world. And that is not inherently wrong. It's more a question of. Is there a way for us to change the beauty standard and challenge the beauty standard to such a extent that people don't feel like they need surgery to feel beautiful and to have that self esteem? I agree,、um, and I think we can look at the numbers when it comes to like free will perspective, because if we see a rise of a certain type of surgery, it's like oh, okay. Is this a bunch of people deciding on their own autonomously? Like, I am going to get buccal fat surgery, or is it a greater societal trend to be like, you are ugly without this? And if it were, you know, where everything is equal and there is no clear evidence of like, okay, here's a Western standard that like everyone is feeding into, and we can see like a lot of money being spent there, or like we can see a lot of women getting, you know, liposuction. It's I don't know how to put this. I'm struggling today. Yeah, words are hard some days. Words are hard some days. I guess my larger point is, if we look at the numbers, we can see how things are certain, how certain trends rise and fall. If it were truly free will, it would all be kind of equal and spread out.、Um, and I think that free will can exist, and women can choose to get surgeries and feel empowered. But it is a, then we have to look at what is the motivation behind this and. Are you following a, a trend essentially? Yeah, like the reason that the numbers of buccal fat removal specifically have risen so drastically is not because a bunch of people were sitting at home and autonomously decided today I don't like my buccal fat and I will feel more confident without it. It's because. Narratives have been pushed that your buccal fat is wrong, your face fat is wrong. If you have a rounder face, that's wrong. I agree, and I read when I was doing research on the surgery, buccal fat surgery.、Um, I found this article about a 28-year-old who got her buccal fat removed,、um, like last year, and the article just came out.、Um, and it was a really interesting perspective on buccal fat surgery because it was something that A she had been thinking about a long time. Like she had started thinking about it when she was like 19, and she waited until she was like 26 or 27.、Um, 
So that's a a long time to wait. B, it's really important to wait till you're after the age of 25 because that is when your brain fully develops. And like, I I just feel like there's a lot of women who say, oh, wait until you're 25 to have cosmetic surgery. See how you feel then when your brain is fully developed. And I think that's important. And that's what she did. Um, and she also looked at her family. And her family all had very round, full cheeks. And they had those round, full cheeks up until old age. Like, it wasn't something that went away with time. And then she was like, okay, I'm going to get the surgery. And so I think it's an interesting example of when free will kind of exists. Like, yes, there are still narratives that you shouldn't have full cheeks. And that I don't want to say that influenced her decision. I'm not speaking for her, but I can see why that would. But it is interesting how her choice came out of her own time and research and her deciding. Um, it was kind of pre the trend. Not that there isn't a larger societal trend to be skinny, but... Do we want to talk about men for a little bit? Let's give men some attention. I don't think they get enough attention. At least not on this podcast. No, that's true. <laughs> men are not created equal here. <laughs> um, okay, so when we started thinking about doing this episode on cosmetic surgery, I immediately started thinking about the trend of incels getting cosmetic surgery to look like a quote-unquote chad. Mm-hmm. In the incel world, a chad is a dude who naturally gets a lot of women. Often he's portrayed as more buff, very European, standardized beauty, kind of bigger guy. Jockey. Jockey. Gets all the, quote, Stacys, and Stacys are the thin, white, blonde-haired girls who incels apparently can't get. Oh, no. Oh, no. Poor incels. If only they were fucking nice to women. No, if only they were chads. So when I did my initial research on this, uh, for anyone who doesn't know me in real life, I had a phase where I was in some ways obsessed with incels, um, mainly in grade 10 and 11, Every social science paper I did on incels, by obsessed, I mean I could not fathom how they looked at the world and how they understood themselves in the world because it made absolutely no sense. But one of the articles was a article about a woman, Alice Hines, who was kind of the creative director behind the New York magazine cover that got really famous with a image of a man who had gotten cosmetic surgery and the title is this is a chad and the one quote that i have is just about what that magazine cover was On the cover of New York Magazine's May 27th to June 9th, 2019 issue, reporter Alice Hines looks inside the world of, quote, incels. Oh, we have not defined it yet, but for anyone who doesn't know what incels means, it's involuntarily celibate men, men who feel like they have been forced into celibacy because women have not given them attention or uh, sexual advances, essentially. Um, Back to the quote, Uh, the world of incels who believe fixing their bone structure will fix their dating lives. 
So this article was all about how in this very minor subset of men, mostly on the internet, men were sharing with each other forms of cosmetic surgery that they believed would get them more women, turn them into a, quote, chat. And I bring this up in part to go back to the false consciousness perspective and cosmetic surgery being imposed upon people. We talked about how there is the beauty standard for women and how that imposes ideas of needing plastic surgery onto women. And I think this is a really interesting case where we see those beauty standards being imposed by onto men, but by men. Oh, absolutely. It's always um, funny to me. Um, well, not funny, but a lot of men in rebuttal to women bringing up feminist issues will be like, oh, what about men's health? And like, you know, um, the suicide rate for men uh, is really, really high. And that's unfortunate. But like who created that system? Who set up this idea that men have to be masculine and strong all the time? It was it was the patriarchy. It was men. Um, and it always goes back to that question of like, who decides the larger idea that we all govern our lives by. And I think it's it's also really interesting because unlike with the way cosmetic surgery has been pushed onto kind of the general population of women, cosmetic surgery for men has really only been pushed in these niche communities. And it's pushed by other men. Men do not go about the world in the same way where cosmetic surgery is emphasized as a way to improve yourself and improve your beauty. It's only in these niche communities. Okay. I want to bring up the idea of the male gaze. In particular, we can see kind of across societies, and I'm going to, this is kind of a reference to a Guardian article I read where uh, this journalist brought up the fact that the uh, the most beautiful idea of a male has been largely similar across many societies where it's like young, fit, like strong. That is like the ideal male. And that has been the same across many different societies, whereas you'll see with women, there is great um, variety in how women are perceived, whether it's like really, really like You'll see there's this um, this culture where women are fattened up for marriage, where it's seen as like fat is desirable. It shows uh, like wealth, and that's really important. Um, and then you'll see in other societies where it's like the opposite, where women have to be very, very skinny. Um, so we see again and again how it sort of sets up these circumstances where cosmetic surgery is geared towards women and like like changing your body an incredible amount is geared towards women, whereas these niche communities uh, of men kind of access cosmetic surgery in a different way. And it isn't imposed on men in the same way where it um, breeds this need. What is our takeaway? Cosmetic surgery is very complex. The reasons for people to desire cosmetic surgery is also very complex. Cosmetic surgery is within the umbrella of plastic surgery. There are many forms of plastic surgery that are 
medical care, that are trans-affirming care, that are care for people who have had mastectomies, that kind of thing. Those types of surgeries are very different, also very complex. Um, but when we're talking about specifically cosmetic surgery, it is really important for us to look at what are the motivations, who are the people imposing the standards which are creating the surgeries getting done, what are the trends and why are they becoming the trends. We also have to look at the larger umbrella of capitalism, who is like, what is this surrounding and it's always surrounding money and who is telling me to consume, consume, consume. Um, and we also, this is totally off topic, sidebar, but the rapid like increase of people being like, oh, you have to use this cream and this cream and this cream and like the nighttime routines being like 12 hours long mm -hmm. and then you've like not gotten any sleep. But it's again that idea of like we have to spend money and copious amounts of money to be beautiful and fit these trends that come and go and will inevitably go out of style. Hey, Sina, do you want to end us off on a quote, you English lit major? I have realized that maybe it is the right major for me because your girl loves a quote. So I mentioned a Guardian article earlier, and the article was by Martha Gill. And in her article, she talks about beauty culture. And she says that beauty culture asks women to harm themselves, then changes its mind. It wants them to harm themselves differently. Perhaps we should consider that female insecurity is not an unfortunate side effect of beauty culture, but an end goal. All right. I just wanted to end with that. Lovely. Asina, what should people do now that they've listened to the podcast? They should dissect what choices they make, and hopefully I will do this going forward as well. But let's look at beauty with open, curious eyes and kind of uh, dissect it with nuance, perhaps. That, that was beautiful. What I was thinking was, <laughs> you should leave a review. <laughs> <laughs> also do that, but do that first. Yeah. Dissect beauty standards, dissect your understanding of the world, and then leave us a review. Follow us on Instagram at Shouting, shouting from, from the, the kitchen. kitchen. Everything is Shouting from the Kitchen. That's also our email. Correct. Um, so send us a note. Give us a little review. We would really appreciate it. And share this with a friend if you feel like it's worthy of being shared. Also, if you have noticed the amazing intro and outro music that has been added since the very first episode was released. Second episode. Second episode was released. That music was done by one of our other roomies. Who is that? It's Avon. Avon is amazing. Avon was in a band. If we get her permission, maybe we'll share what band she was in as well. But we're just bringing in the whole roomie team. We are. And we want to thank Avon for the amazing music it's truly incredible and you'll probably hear it shortly for the outro in the meantime thank you for listening and we hope you you know we hope to see you soon we love you guys love you bye, bye.